Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Bonnie Finnerty, Education Director at the Federation, and I am joined by my distinguished colleague, Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director. Hello, Maria. Hello, Bonnie. It's great to be with you today. It's great to be with you. Now, we know in every pregnancy, there are two patients. Our guest today has made that fact the cornerstone of his medical practice. Several years ago, Dr. Bill Lyle took over the largest provider of abortions in Pensacola, Florida, and turned it into a life-saving medical practice where both women and their children are treated with the best medical care and with the dignity they deserve. Known as the pro-life doc, Bill has become a sought out speaker nationwide, and we are thrilled to have him join us later in the podcast. In addition, Maria will talk about the dramatic drop in abortions in Texas since the passage of its pro-life law. But first we'll start with some pro-life inspiration. And this is an inspiration inside of an inspiration, a case where a person's life experience prompted her to do something to help others. So we actually have two beautiful stories. It all began back in 1996 when a pregnant mother in the mid-state area experienced a medical crisis during her pregnancy. Put on bed rest at 20 weeks, she delivered her daughter a few weeks later. Mary McCurdy was the smallest micropremie that doctors at Harrisburg Hospital had seen survive at that time. She weighed just 14 ounces, about the weight of a soda can, and that is the nickname that doctors in the neonatal intensive care unit, also known as NICU, gave Mary. Well, after several surgeries, interventions, and much loving care, that soda can baby is all grown up and a mom herself, with her own son having been treated in the NICU as well. She's also a published author. Mary McCurdy Green has recently written and illustrated a children's book that helps families navigate the NICU and find comfort in the often trying experience. The title of the book is God's Knitting Needles. And it was inspired by Mary's mom who used that phrase to describe the doctors that saved her little girl. She, of course, was alluding to Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. As Mary writes in the book, when babies need help outside of the womb, God uses other knitting needles. As a mom myself, whose son spent a week in the NICU, and I remember well the mixture of emotions I felt at that time, I'm so grateful that someone has written a book for families on this topic. I wish I could have read it to my then three-year-old daughter to explain why her baby brother stayed in the hospital for longer than we had wanted. But fortunately, families will have this wonderful resource moving ahead. As the viability line moves ever lower and we see babies born at 22, even 21 weeks surviving, this is a sweet little book that can provide hope and assurance to families. What a beautiful inspiration Mary's story is, both the one she lived and the one she wrote. I'll link to God's Knitting Needles in the show notes. If you know a family expecting a baby, this may be a great gift for them. Maria. Bonnie, thank you so much for that inspirational story. Now, the following is from an article from David Drusco of National Right to Life News Today. 
It comes from a pro-abortion source, We Count, a national research project led by the Society of Family Planning, but they've provided invaluable information gauging the effect of the reversal of Roe v. Wade on the number of abortions in various states. We reported on the preliminary results in late October in a report leaked exclusively to 538. The data set shows that in the two months after the Supreme Court decision, there were 10,570 fewer abortions as compared to pre-Dobbs estimates. That was a nationwide drop of an estimated 6%. Last Tuesday, Teresa Woodard of WFAA-TV reported on the impact in Texas. The astonishing headline read, report says 2770 abortions were provided in Texas in April. By August, that number fell to 10. Imagine that, 10. Pro-lifers, of course, were delighted. This means there are children alive today who otherwise would not have been if not for the Supreme Court decision and this epic victory, Kimberlyn Schwartz of Texas Right to Life told Woodard. I expect more data will show we're saving even more lives than what is being shown in this study, she said. Bonnie. Thank you so much, Maria. Well, it is my honor to introduce today's guest. In 1999, Dr. William Lyle, the pro-life doc, took over a practice that was the largest provider of abortion services in Pensacola, Florida. On day one, any and all abortion services and abortion referrals were stopped immediately. The clinic's former abortionist retired and left the country. Today, that clinic's abortion equip equipment is now used to demonstrate the brutality of abortions performed in all three semester trimesters. Dr. Lyle believes that the life and personhood of the preborn can only be understood through love and empowered education. Dr. Lyle is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and former OBGYN department chair. He is licensed to practice medicine in both Florida and Alabama. He has served as an instructor with both the University of Florida and Florida State Medical School OBGYN residency programs. The pro-life doc is passionate about providing quality health care to all of his patients, including those in the womb. I had the pleasure of hearing Dr. Lyle speak recently, and I'm so grateful that he is able to be with us today. Welcome, Dr. Lyle. Well, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here with you ladies. Now, how did you come to hold your pro-life views? It really comes down to patients' rights and patient care. I mean, I have a passion for medicine. I have a passion for taking care of all of my patients. And during residency in the 90s, it was amazing to see the advances in medicine in order to not only diagnose babies in the womb, but actually to treat the babies in the womb. And so as a physician and understanding patients' rights, that's where my passion came from. But I had a base of being pro-life going back to being a kid. My parents were both pro-life. They recognized we're created in the image of God at that moment of conception. So it was part of my upbringing. And that just got really cemented and a foundation was established once I went off to medical school and then residency. That's wonderful. Now, why did you decide to go by the nickname Pro-Life Doc? Uh, I guess pro-life is really 
the, who I am at the core, and I, I just happen to be a physician as well. So we took over that practice. We stopped all the abortions on day one, and now we treat the babies on the inside and the moms on the outside as patients. Uh, I just have a passion for that, and it does come down to patients' rights. One of the things I'll ask is if I have a patient in my office that needs a blood transfusion, but that patient was not born here in the United States, do they still have a right to receive a blood transfusion, even though they weren't born in the United States? And people say, well, yeah. And I said, well, what if I have a patient that needs open heart surgery or spina bifida surgery? But again, they weren't born in the United States. There are a lot of people in, the, in this country that think that just because somebody wasn't born in the United States, that they don't have as many rights to access to health care as other people. And I firmly believe they do. And when I say my patients who needed blood transfusions, open heart surgery, spina bifida surgery, when I say they were not born in the United States, the full detail is that they were not born in the United States yet. And that's a real key because science is advancing and the way we treat patients, both the moms and the babies, is advancing. And yes, we can do blood transfusions to babies in the womb. In fact, it's the reason why we do blood transfusions that's really important. We do a blood transfusion because from the moment of conception, the mom and the baby are different people, and they can even have a different blood type. And moms can have a blood type, which is different from the babies, and moms can have antibodies, which will cross the placenta and start to attack the baby's blood. And the baby's blood count will drop in, a, just like if we were in a bad car accident or had a bad laceration, baby will die if the baby doesn't get blood. Well, we can actually take blood that you gave at the Red Cross or at One Blood or a blood drive at your church or at your office. And if you have O negative blood, we can take that blood, we can put it in a syringe, and we can take a long needle with ultrasound, guide it through the skin of the mom, right through the wall of the uterus, and right up to the umbilical vein of the baby, right in the umbilical cord. And we can give that baby a life-saving blood transfusion. And we've done that as early as 18 weeks gestation. So if we can give a baby in the womb a life-saving blood transfusion, do they qualify as a patient at that point? Absolutely. If they're a patient, they're a person, and they're entitled to respect and bodily integrity. That's one of the first things we're taught in medicine, is that regardless of somebody's background, a patient is a person. We need to respect them. Well, if we are doing blood transfusions and then even open heart surgery on these babies, spina bifida corrective surgery, then clearly they are patients. And patients have rights, whether they are on the inside of the womb or the outside of the womb. And I will do everything I can to protect my moms, but I'll also do everything I can to protect the lives of my patients on the inside. Doctor, I, I love your revision of Dr. Seuss's iconic statement where you say that a patient's a person no matter how small. Um, I wonder if you could talk to us about those smallest of patients that you treat and what medicine is capable of doing today in utero. Sure. Well, first, we can diagnose the genetics of a baby as early as seven weeks after conception. I mean, so when a, a mom who's an amazing life support system of a baby says, it's my body, it's my choice. I, well, that doesn't make any sense because even at 10 weeks gestation, there are one billion cells in that pregnancy, that baby, that are different from the mom. Half the time, that's going to be a little boy. So if the 60 trillion cells in the mom are all XX chromosome. How can it be part of her body if it's a little boy and there's a billion cells at just 10 weeks gestation? 
but technology has gotten to the point where we can actually do genetic studies on the baby in the womb. I can do a blood test on the mom seven weeks after conception, and with more than 99% accuracy, I can find little fragments of the baby's DNA that are in the mother's D in the mother's blood, and then I can study them, and I can actually say this. Not, it's not going to be a boy or going to be a girl. This is a boy or this is a girl. So it's a different person. But some of the advances, not only are we doing blood transfusion, but Cleveland Clinic just had a case. Mom came in and she was about 25 weeks when she came in to get evaluated by the Cleveland Clinic. And the baby had been diagnosed by ultrasound with a growing tumor. The tumor is called a teratoma. And a baby's heart at that gestational age is about the size of the end of your thumb. But this tumor was about the size of your thumbnail. And the tumor was growing. And it was going to kill the baby. And so they had two options. We can either deliver a preemie about two pounds now, and then do open heart surgery. But now we have a baby that's two pounds premature who just had open heart surgery, but still has to recover and deal with being a preemie. The other option was they said, why don't we just see about doing surgery in the womb? So that's what they did. And at 27 weeks gestation, the doctors at the Cleveland Clinic did a couple amazing things. First, mom got an epidural, so she was comfortable and was not feeling any pain. Then they made an incision in the belly of the mother. They made an incision in her uterus. And then they brought first the right arm out and first the left arm out of the baby. That was so they could get exposure to the baby's chest so that they could do the open heart surgery. But before they made an incision in the baby's chest, because babies do feel pain, they actually had a pediatric anesthesiologist who started an IV in the right hand of the baby. The baby was getting fluids. The baby was getting pain medicine. The baby was getting anesthesia. In fact, they were giving the baby the same doses of fentanyl and norcuron that they would give to a baby that happened to be on their operating room table. So the baby was comfortable. And then the pediatric cardiologist made an incision in the chest of the baby, removed the heart tumor. Almost immediately, the baby's heart started to function and pump normally. Once they had done that, they closed the incision on the baby. They removed the IV from the baby. They tucked the baby's hands and arms back in the womb. They closed the womb, closed the skin. And 10 weeks later, they delivered that baby. And that baby is doing great. So if you can do open heart surgery and have two anesthesiologists in the room, one anesthesiologist taking care of the needs of the mom and one anesthesiologist taking, the need, taking care of the needs of the baby, that is two patients that walked in. That is healthcare at its highest level. When in this particular surgery, they had 12 doctors, nurses, techs, anesthesiologists, all with a goal of providing quality healthcare to the mom and quality healthcare to the baby. Abortion is not healthcare. You have a mom who walks into the operating room and you have a baby who has walked in with the mother. The mom has a heartbeat, the baby has a heartbeat. When a mom has a procedure, she has an abortion performed, and only the mom walks out with a heartbeat, that's not healthcare. You just lost half of the heartbeats of patients that walked into the operating room. So bottom line, abortion is not healthcare. When we are treating the preborn as patients and saving their lives, that is healthcare. Wow, that's just amazing what can be done today. Um, now, doctor, you're also involved in the Abortion Pill Reversal Network. Can you tell us about that and the success that you've had with it? 
Sure. Well, let's first define the abortion pill. There are a lot of people who still get confused on the difference between the morning after pill and the abortion pill. So let's define things to start. First, the morning after pill. The morning after pill is taken by a woman the morning after she's had intercourse and thinks she might get pregnant. Well, it's still wrong, but the morning after pill is very different. The abortion pill is not the morning after. The abortion pill is indicated for 70 mornings after, 10 weeks. Every mom who's gone in and dad who's gone in to have an ultrasound has seen that baby moving at the beginning of a pregnancy. It might be six, seven, or eight weeks. The abortion pill is 98% effective in killing a baby in the womb up to 10 weeks gestation. How does it work? It works by blocking a very very important hormone called progesterone. Progesterone is the hormone that's kind of the, the coach or the conductor of the orchestra of pregnancy. And progesterone is short for progestational steroid hormone. This is the hormone that when a woman gets becomes pregnant, it celebrates. It says, hey, congratulations, we're pregnant. We have a new full-time job. We're going to keep the mom pregnant. We're not going to have a menstrual cycle. We're going to relax the uterus. We're going to provide more nutrition to the uterus and to the blood supply. And it's very important to keep the pregnancy going. The abortion pill blocks that hormone progesterone. So the mom is pregnant, the progesterone levels start going up normally, and then they take the abortion pill, they make a mistake. And then the progesterone levels go down. The next day they take a medicine which causes severe contractions, and that baby is passed 98% of the time. How do we reverse the effect of the abortion pill? Well, we have antidotes for all sorts of stuff. We have when we have a huge problem with narcotics and fentanyl here in the United States. We had over 107,000 people die of drug overdoses just last year. And we can you know, reverse the effect of a narcotic overdose by using a medication called Narcan. Well, we can reverse the effect of the abortion pill, which is lowering progesterone just by giving the mom more progesterone. The exact same progesterone that her body makes, the exact same progesterone that we use in normal obstetrics. If a woman has a pregnancy, then a miscarriage, a pregnancy and a miscarriage, her body probably isn't making enough progesterone. So we give those moms progesterone. If a woman has had in vitro fertilization, her body wasn't expecting a pregnancy. So we give those women the exact same progesterone. We use progesterone to prevent preterm labor. All of our triplets and quadruplets at our hospital are given the exact same progesterone. So we're just taking a medication, which is already being used to raise progesterone levels, and we're using it to reverse the effect of the abortion pill. And we have had thousands of calls through our network, abortionpillreversal.com. I personally have attempted to reverse the abortion pill 16 times, and I've been successful 12 of those 16 times. Healthy moms and healthy babies. There is nothing more thrilling in medicine. I mean, I've delivered triplets and quadruplets, and they are cool, but to be able to actually save the life of a baby after a mom had made a bad decision, made a bad choice, and then has immediate regrets, that is amazingly rewarding. We have 500 doctors who we have trained in the process of reversing the effect of the abortion pill when women have had regrets. And we are coming up on successful documented reversal number 4,000, probably sometime next month. So we serve a God of second chances. We've all said things that we regret. We've all done things that we regret. In fact, there was a, uh, an article uh, in, from San Francisco where they were talking about suicide. And unfortunately, the Golden Gate Bridge is where a lot of people will go to commit suicide. 
they go out to the bridge and they think nobody loves me, nobody cares for me. I just don't want to live my life anymore because there's nobody here for me. And the 1,800 people that we know of have jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, 29 people miraculously survived jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. So a psychologist interviewed all 29. And yeah, they had those feelings. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. It's just going to be better if I just jump off this bridge. And then the psychologist, after these people survived, they swam to shore, got fished out by the Coast Guard or a fisherman. The psychologist asked them, well, right after you jumped off the bridge, what were you thinking? 29 of 29 said, as soon as I saw the bridge above me, I cried out to God and I said, I don't want to die. And they, by some miracle, survived. So the same thing is true when somebody goes into the abortion clinic. She walks in and she's really thinking, nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. Nobody's here to meet my deed, my needs. I cannot stand here alone and support this baby and, and continue this pregnancy. And so they go in and they swipe their credit card. They take the abortion pill. They sign the consent. But then a lot of them have immediate regrets. So we're there to help those women. No woman should stand alone. We all make mistakes. We all do things and say things that we regret. And we're here as a team of 500 doctors to help those women when they have a regrets to save the life of their baby. Well, doctor, you're, you're very busy delivering babies and helping women. And I'm wondering why is it that you've begun to speak nationwide? And I'm wondering what kind of response you're getting. We're getting a great response. We're getting a great response, not just from the church, but we do lectures to medical students and to medical schools, colleges, seminaries, because everybody needs to know the truth. And the truth is what sets us free. And the truth is we treat the babies in the womb as patients. I was speaking in Gainesville, Florida, you know, just a lot of the medical students there at the University of Florida. I had a guy came up afterwards and he goes, Dr. Lyle, he goes, uh, Nice talk. He said, I uh, learned a lot. He says, I got a funny feeling that you believe in God. And I hadn't used any scripture or anything because we were talking to a secular class. And I said, yeah, I do. It's it's my core foundation in, in everything that I choose to do and want to do in life. And he goes, I don't believe in God. He says, I'm just not into the God thing. I just don't say it. He says, I'm an atheist and I probably always will be. He says, but I walked in here and it was a woman's right to choose for any reason at any gestational age. And I really thought in my head, nobody has the right to tell a woman whether that baby has life and whether that baby has value at all. He says, but I also am here as a medical student because I'm a huge advocate for patients' rights. And he says, I just had no idea how we were treating the babies in the womb as patients. He says, I still don't believe in God. But he says, you've changed my heart. You've changed my mind when it comes to abortion, because he recognized the value of these babies on the inside. He wouldn't say that they were created in the image of God, but he said they are patients and a patient is a person, no matter how small. We just need to give people the truth. We actually are now putting cameras in the womb. We have a we have a visual generation that is always looking at TikToks and they're looking at Instagram. They're you know looking for the truth on visuals and on YouTube. So all we're doing is putting a camera inside the womb, showing them the life, showing them the baby, showing the way we're treating the patients, and that a patient is a person, no matter how small. And we are spending tens of millions of dollars to save the lives of babies. In fact, Children's Hospital Philadelphia, right there where y'all are just celebrated their 2,000th fetal procedure. 
procedures that are saving the lives of babies. That's just at one hospital. We have treatment centers for these babies in the womb from coast to coast. Children's Hospital Philadelphia also had a what they called a fetal family reunion where they brought the babies back because every uh, nurse and doctor that works on a preemie wants to see these babies and see how they grew up. They saw when they weighed two pounds and they want to see what's this kid look like at three, four, and five. So they brought these babies that they had treated as patients in the womb. They had 650 babies come to the Philadelphia Zoo with their family members. They had over 3,000 people at the Philadelphia Zoo celebrating how because of the work at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, they saved the lives of their kids, not after they were born, but they saved their lives before they were born, while they were still in the womb. And patients have rights. And that's what I'm just here to defend my patient's rights. A patient is a person is entitled to respect and bodily integrity. And the first phrase that we learn in medical school is a Latin phrase, prima non seri. And that is Latin for, first of all, do no harm. Abortion causes harm. And we are here to provide life to the preborn. We have just about two minutes left. And I'm wondering, how do you respond to those lawmakers who claim that abortion pill reversal is an experimentation upon women? And therefore, it's, it's not to be respected. It, it, it really is a dangerous procedure. How do you respond to that? Listen, we are meeting the needs of a woman. When a woman walks into our emergency room, she's made a mistake. She's taken the abortion pill. We are using a medicine that we use all the time in normal obstetrics. We do have studies and we have more studies just to show that we are saving the lives of these babies in the womb. And the key is there is no evidence of a birth defect or teratogenic effect from the abortion pill. It will kill the baby, but there's no evidence of a birth defect. And we use the progesterone, prometrium, to save the lives of babies in normal obstetrics. We're just combining the two. And we are saving their lives, and we have almost 4,000 babies that we can show them pictures. I've got pictures here right at my desk that I look at every day of babies who had a 98% chance of dying, but because of prayer and because of some really great application of quality medicine, those babies are alive today. And the proof is really in those pictures and in those babies. I mean, how can you argue with the baby sitting before you whose life was saved as a result of this amazing procedure? And why is the legislator's first response when they see these pictures of thousands of babies to actively want to try and do something to deny them access to this kind of care? That is just evil. We have not enough physicians that are involved in legislature, and we have too many attorneys and people who don't cherish life. I mean, we need to cherish life at the beginning of the life spectrum in the womb, and we need to cherish life at the end of life spectrum for end of life. You know, our rights don't come from the government. They don't come from the state. Our rights come from God. The duty of good government is to protect those rights which were given to us by God. And that's where we need to take a stand. And as, I mean, there is a group called the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. There are 7,000 of us who have, you know, will pay dues every month and they're taking a stand, 7,000 of us to say abortion is wrong. We are board certified, licensed OBGYNs, and we will stand up for the pre-born. Dr. William Lyle, the pro-life doc, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, you're thank welcome. You. It was an honor to be on. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. 
The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State, with more than 40 local county-based chapters. Thank you so much for joining us today. And remember, there is always a reason to choose life.